I always describe it as sort of a small voice in the back of your head that tends to tell you that you are incapable of a challenge, you may be inadequate for the challenge. It's not necessarily a voice that beats you up. It's more of a voice that looks at a task and questions your readiness. It can also lead us to minimize the things that we have accomplished because it's not always about feeling inadequate. It's also about feeling like others will find you out. Thank you for joining us today for an episode of FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. On this episode, we are talking about imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. It is a phenomenon in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, and accomplishments, despite evidence to the contrary. Persons experiencing imposter syndrome have a fear of being outed as a fraud and experience pervasive self-doubt. Our guest today, Aaron Collier-Plummer, is a youth services librarian at the Seminole County, Florida Public Library. After experiencing this phenomenon herself, Erin began researching, writing, and presenting on the topic. You can see her latest article, Managing Imposter Syndrome, in the November-December 2020 issue of Public Libraries Magazine. Welcome, Erin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your library background? I am a second career librarian. Um, my background is not in librarianship. It's, it's largely in marketing and education. Um, I went back to grad school and graduated when I was 45. I have been a youth services librarian here in Seminole County for a little over two years. I love working with children. This whole process had brought up a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome for me, returning to school, starting a second career. It's a topic that I personally know a lot about, and then through research, I've learned a lot more about it. So tell us a little bit about your personal experience with imposter syndrome. Being a perfectionist, uh, I have definitely struggled with imposter syndrome. In fact, imposter syndrome and perfectionism are very closely linked. I've always experienced these feelings of inadequacy in, in certain circumstances, but never had the words to explain it and never had a term to use for it. I just always felt as though I was sort of faking it. When I decided that I was going to not say no to myself anymore and I was going to pursue new opportunities, I applied for, down here we have the Sunshine State Library Leadership Institute, and I applied for that as a new librarian. I was accepted, much to my dismay and shock and delight. And I walked into that room with seasoned librarians, mentors, and participants. The first thought was, I don't belong here. I'm looking at all of these amazing people. So clearly I did belong there as I paid the money to be there. And uh, I just remember reaching out to a friend who reminded me that I deserved to be there. And so I sat with that discomfort for a really long time before I figured out how to deal with it. By the fourth session, I was much more comfortable. And that's when I made the connection between getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing those feelings and learning how to manage it so that it wouldn't rule your professional life. The key for me was not to dwell in those feelings. There's a tendency to let those feelings overrule what we already know about ourselves in terms of our skills and accomplishments. And 
So I think it's really important to feel those feelings, but I also think then your mind has to supersede your heart, so to speak, and your gut and start reminding you of what you're capable of doing. And that's why the second step for me was to identify my skills and abilities and have something that I could look at or think about that reminded me that I was capable and I would be able to figure out how to manage this new challenge in my life. When you face new challenges, do you still find yourself going down that road? Absolutely. Uh, Unequivocally, I can't sit here and say that I am free. Mm -hmm. I I use the term manage because I don't think that you can totally overcome it. Mm -hmm. I think you learn how to manage it. I think you learn how to not allow it to prevent you from making changes in your life. I think you learn how to manage it so that you can share your ideas freely with your work colleagues and perhaps add something to discussion that you normally would have held back. You've done a lot of research into the topic. Why don't you tell us what imposter syndrome is and what are some of its manifestations? I always describe it as sort of a small voice in the back of your head that tends to tell you that you are incapable of a challenge. You may be inadequate for the challenge. It's not necessarily a voice that beats you up. It's more of a voice that looks at a task and questions your readiness. It can also lead us to minimize the things that we have accomplished because it's not always about feeling inadequate. It's also about feeling like others will find you out. That can manifest in different ways. And so there isn't necessarily one manifestation. I think the thoughts of inadequacy, despite past evidence of your success and your capability. So for example, if you were being asked to do something that you had no experience with, you wouldn't feel imposter syndrome. You would say, this isn't something I have any experience with and I'm really nervous about it and I'm not sure if I can do this. But if you're being asked to write an article about imposter syndrome after you have spoken about imposter syndrome, then for someone who has imposter syndrome, Those thoughts are going to go, well, who am I to write this article? How am I an authority, quote unquote, on on doing this? And I have to admit that before this podcast, I had this conversation with some of my friends. It's still there. And even if you have things that you can point to that show that you are capable of it, it's that feeling regardless of the evidence that is a key to imposter syndrome. I don't think it's a mental health issue. I think there's a huge distinction there. Um, certainly there can be overlap, but to me, imposter syndrome and based on what I've read is is very much a, a psychological issue and, and something that can be dealt with. So since you've been writing and uh, reading about imposter syndrome, have you been hearing from other people in the library world? I've received some emails and received some very positive feedback about people's experiences with imposter syndrome. It's one of those things, I, I wouldn't say it's taboo, But I think it is one of those things that people don't necessarily like to talk about because it indicates that we're vulnerable. And a lot of people have a real hard time talking about vulnerability. And sometimes there are feelings of shame associated with imposter syndrome, which on its face doesn't make any sense. But if you think about the thought processes behind imposter syndrome, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. So how do shame and emotional vulnerability play a role? Brene Brown does a great job of explaining vulnerability and its links to shame and how imposter syndrome drives us to wear masks. And 
the vulnerability ties into that stepping outside of our comfort zones because we end up in in somewhat uncharted territory within ourselves and to everyone else around us we may look like the perfect person for the job but within our own selves we may feel they must have made a mistake you know they must they they really picked the wrong person and it does leave us feeling vulnerable even if we're not demonstrating to others that we feel vulnerable talking about it requires us to be vulnerable vulnerability is a word that a lot of have a visceral reaction to because it is seen as weakness to be vulnerable. And if you see it that way, then you're definitely not going to want to be vulnerable about how you're feeling. You're going to put on a mask uh, and act like everything's fine, or you may shy away from an opportunity because you don't want to appear uh, that you are trying to figure it out. Because I think it's something that we we have to sort of destigmatize that idea. Let's get into what are some tips for managing your imposter syndrome feelings. There's short term and there's long term because you have those feelings in the moment and you have to deal with those feelings in the moment. But then there's also a longer term way to approach it that will support those in the moment experiences. Show up and stay is how I refer to it, that you you don't mentally leave. You're there. You, you are in the present. You're not running away. You're experiencing those feelings. Recognizing that they are feelings and not facts is very important. That's not always possible in that moment. And that's why people around us would say, well, I don't understand why you feel this way because you've done this, this, and this. But in that moment, when you're feeling those feelings, you're not recognizing those things. However, it's very important to be able to take action. And so writing down those skills, those talents, those abilities that you have, even if they're not related to the task, it's taking action. It's refocusing your energy, your emotional energy. And it's also giving you something positive in the place of those more debilitating thoughts. I also talk about reframing the fear. Physically, those are very similar sensations to excitement. So you may be able to channel some of that fear into a sense of excitement and enthusiasm. And then sometimes you just really have to fake it till you make it in those circumstances um, in order to be able to get through it. And it actually actually can be very, very helpful to fake it till you make it. I think as, as a life skill, it's not necessarily a great thing, but in certain circumstances, it definitely has its place. I also think it's important to have people around you who can support you. And sometimes in the moment, you do need that person to remind you of what you bring to the table when you don't necessarily remember it yourself. So they sort of can remind you until you can internalize that Mm -hmm. for yourself. I think long-term, the most important things that I have found are being authentic. And that, again, brings up vulnerability. Do you have to have all the answers? Do you have to know every aspect of the challenge ahead? Most of the time you don't. Most of the time you're going to have people that you can talk to and ask for help. The real gift of authenticity is it allows other people to be authentic and vulnerable. And it helps to build rapport and trust in your team. Other people feel like they can Uh, volunteer help and ideas or discuss maybe problems that you haven't seen. It just provides a much more open and honest discussion and relatability. And I think as a leader, that is incredibly important to be able to express to your team and even your, your coworkers, if you're not a leader, that you are human and that you don't necessarily take to everything easily. And it just sort of opens up that discussion where everybody feels like they can be authentic too. That's a big piece. It also requires giving up perfectionism if you are a perfectionist. Perfectionism really is a cover for shame for a lot of people. It's a way of avoiding feelings of shame. Guilt and shame are different. Guilt tells you that something that you did was wrong. 
Shame tells you that you are wrong, that there is something wrong with you. Brené Brown does a lot of work on shame. She's done a lot of research on shame, but she talks about this term shame resilience. It means to you start to recognize the things that happen that trigger those feelings of shame and you start to analyze them in a more research or clinical type of way where you can begin to challenge those feelings of shame. And sometimes that means that you aren't going to come across to other people as perfect all the time. How can you tell if what you are feeling is imposter syndrome or the product of workplace culture? If you have leaders who sort of have employees competing with each other and sort of set up that environment, that is a huge problem uh, because now you have people who are not only feeling inadequate in comparison to other people, but now they're holding back their ideas and they're holding back what they could offer that would be helpful to everyone. And so now you've got the breakdown of teamwork and low morale, and it just doesn't lead to good things. And when morale drops, mm. imposter syndrome really rises for a lot of people. You also don't feel like you have that support. Let's talk a little bit more about how it's not always imposter syndrome. One of the things that I discussed in my article was uh, mental health. You know, sometimes when people um, have different mental health uh, issues that they're dealing with, if, if, for example, if you have excessive worry and anxiety, um, if you have feelings of worthlessness that might be tied to a mental health issue, they can feed imposter syndrome, but they're not necessarily the same thing. And the approach to dealing with them will be different. So that's an important distinction to make. I also came across a really good article uh, about how it, it's actually called It's Not Imposter Syndrome, Resisting Self-Doubt as Normal for Library Workers. I mentioned it in my article. I highly recommend that people read it for a much deeper dive into the topic. It was uh, written by Nicola Andrews. And the article talks about cultural differences and expressions of trauma and how in certain structures that can be misinterpreted as people who are struggling with imposter syndrome. The very environment can lead people to take on the responsibility responsibility of those feelings as being from themselves and not part of that lack of understanding of cultural differences. If you're feeling like this is not a place where cultural differences can be appreciated, then that is something that is worth challenging because it, it benefits everyone. It benefits not just your, your coworkers, but it benefits your patrons as well. So to create a safe environment for people to share uh, how, they, how they're feeling about a particular task is really important. And I think that leadership allowing themselves to be authentic and valuable is, is a huge piece of it because you create this environment where people can trust and they can be open and they can be exposed and know that they're going to receive the support that they need from those at the top. Any last thoughts? One of the things that I ended my discussion with at PLA 2020 was, quote, called a ship in harbor is safe, but it's not what ships are made for. And to me, that speaks very much of the need for all of us to not be small. And I think imposter syndrome keeps people small and there's a comfort there. But the world and your field, librarianship needs you to be big and they need you to share your ideas with not just your, your colleagues in your library, but in magazines such as public libraries and, and at uh, conferences because we all benefit from everybody else's knowledge. So it's really important to get out there and make your voice heard. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us today. That was Erin Collier Plummer, Youth Services Librarian at the Seminole County, Florida Public Library. You can see her latest article, Managing Imposter Syndrome, in the November-December 2020 issue of Public Libraries Magazine. Thank you.